Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time again for another Atlantic Division preview show. Tonight we have a super special guest, Mr. Mike Harrington, couples of Buffalo Sabres. What's going on today, Mike? Well, gentlemen, yeah, I mean, we're in the middle of uh, Bill's frenzy in Buffalo with this season opener against the Rams, but I'm always talking hockey and thinking hockey, and, you know, we're a couple weeks away from training camp, and it should be a very interesting season down here. No, it's definitely going to be an interesting season. Cannot wait. And, of course, everybody, my co-host, as always, is Mr. Dylan Fournier, Mr. D4. How's it going today, buddy? It's solid. Uh, how are you? Living the absolute dream. And just to get out of the way, of course, our friends over at Boxing Rock Brewing Co. proudly sponsor the show here. That's their puck off Lagerdale. The big beer for the big podcast or the big game, which is right around the corner. And I'll ask the uh, the million-dollar question from a lot of fans. Tage Thompson signs a big, juicy contract after one solid year. And I'm wondering, how do you feel about this? We've seen the Timmy Stutzla deal as well. Right. Uh, it seems like teams are starting to maybe lock up guys younger and basically get it out of the way, betting on the fact that they will be able to replicate what they've done. Um, you look at Nathan McKinnon kind of with that deal, how that played out, John Huberdo, same kind of thing. Do you see Tage Thompson living up to this deal, or is it something that might backfire on the Buffalo Sabres? No, I mean, the one thing we're going to see, and like you say, the trend is there. The bridge contract is going out the window. Yeah. We're seeing teams locking up their young guys. If you believe this is a guy who belongs in your core, you're locking him up. You see what Ottawa's doing right now with a bunch of guys locked yeah. up. So I think the Sabres are looking at it from a standpoint of Tage Thompson had 38 goals. He has evolved into their number one center. That was more goals, by the way, than Jack Eichel ever had in any season in Buffalo. Um, can he do it again? Maybe, maybe not. But here, here's a number for you guys. He had, I think it was 28 of his goals last year after Alex Tuck came off the injured list. And that was a big number for him. The line of Thompson with Tuck and Skinner was a great line. It's going to be their number one line again. So I don't see why Tage Thompson can't replicate that performance. There's a little bit of shooting percentage in there, but – you know, when you look at shooting percentages, part of what I say is, hey, if the guy is in the slot getting all kinds of good chances, they're going to go in. We see the release. Why not? And here's the other point on contracts. Everyone's kind of freaking out about all these big deals. You know, Matthew Kachuk, Stutzla, whatever. The cap's going to go up. And in the next three years, the cap's going to go up a lot. You sign a guy like Tage Thompson right now to seven years, $7 million, that percentage of cap's going to be nothing in three or four years if this cap is in the 86, 88, $90 million range like it might be. Yeah, and you know what? A lot of people are still using the doomsday philosophy where the sky is falling because the cap is flat. No one's really looking forward to what it might be. And, you know, the crazy thing, Mike, is too, for a lot of teams, they were forecasting for this to happen already with the cap being higher, probably around the $91.5 million mark which is why teams like the Leafs kind of right. put themselves in a bind because they thought the cap would be much higher. Deals they signed for guys like Marner and Matthews Tavares wouldn't look as bad with the flexibility. So you're right. These deals here, whether it be Timmy Stew or whether it be Tage Thompson or any other young guy getting locked up, and I see you over in Dallas there, Mr. Robertson, going to get paid eventually whenever your owner decides to bend – to the guys putting the puck in the net, which is a very weird quote, by the way. I don't understand that one at all. Um, but, yeah, the younger guys are going to get paid, and it's going to look significantly great on the cap in probably two to three years when everything starts to go up. And hopefully the first jump, when we get a jump, will be a big one. And the Leafs were right. Don't forget the Leafs were right. I mean, a pandemic hit. If there's no yeah. pandemic – the Leafs are absolutely right. They they were betting the cap was going to go up. They wouldn't be in the Nylander jam they're in right now if the pandemic never happened. Yeah, and I mean, then again, you know what? At the other side of the coin, and a lot of people throw it towards the Leafs, you know, every other team seemed to figure it out somehow, some way, and got it done. But a lot of teams had sweetheart deals. I look at the Nathan McKinnon one, for instance. There's no way in the world if Nathan McKinnon and everyone knew what he was going to be, 
there wouldn't be a deal at that range. It would be the higher echelon. So maybe the same thing happens for the Sabres, though, with Tage Thompson. Maybe sure. I mean, five years ago, right. Right, yeah. five years ago, Nathan McKinnon was playing on a 48-point team. Yep. yep. Well, he no, was, for he wasn't putting up the numbers he was putting up either. No. So, I mean, now Nathan McKinnon is Nathan McKinnon on a Stanley Cup team, so it looks a little different. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that's how yeah. things go. But I think – the Sabres have the right idea. Ottawa certainly has the right idea, but I do think we're seeing quite a bit of transitioning here. No one would ever give a young guy that big money deal right out of the eighties. Got to have a bridge deal first. Well, <laughs> you got to earn it. You got to be a veteran. You got to earn yeah, that money. Well, that's not how it's going to go anymore. No. So um, you said, want, go ahead, there, Dylan. I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on now that now that Eichel has finally left Buffalo. And you're starting to see a trend of guys starting to want to stay in Buffalo, like Alex Tuck, where he's like, yeah, I want to stay here. And you see the contract in, in Thompson as well. Oh, can you guys still hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, what does this mean for the city of Buffalo? Um, and uh, how excited are you for this, for the Sabres? Well, I, I think the thing about people wanting to be in Buffalo or not wanting to be in Buffalo is all related to the fact they haven't won. A lot of people wanted to be in Buffalo in 2006 and 2007 and 2010 when they were a winning team, and no one wanted to be in Toronto. You know, yeah. So I, I look at it that that will all take care of itself and shake itself out here if they ever start making the playoffs again. But the biggest thing on the Eichel trade, I always tell people, you know, you don't have to look at it where who's going to win the trade. That's a, a trade both teams could win. Alex Tuck obviously is a huge addition to the Sabres, wants to be here. Peyton Krebs, a big addition. They got a first-round draft pick. And if Jack Eichel plays like Jack Eichel for the Vegas Golden Knights, they'll be more than happy with that too. Both teams can stand out in this deal. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You know, Buffalo certainly never envisioned getting the number 16 pick in the draft for Jack Eichel. They assumed that the pick was going to be 28 to 32 when Vegas, lo and behold, doesn't make the playoffs. But, you know, that trade can really be one of those that works out both ways. And as horrible as the Ryan O'Reilly trade looked in 2019, and he did go win a Stanley Cup and a Cotton Smythe, who was the guy the Buffalo Sabres got for Ryan O'Reilly? It was Tage Thompson. Sometimes yeah. trades take a while to work, shake themselves out. Absolutely. Well, a guy that I'm really excited about in the Jack Eichel deal is Peyton Krebs. Mm -hmm. um, I do see him on the second line for the Sabres. Where do you see him in terms of tracking his progression? Obviously, for the Sabres to continue to make the noise and take the level that they did at the tail end of last season, where it looked clearly like the Buffalo Sabres were taking steps to becoming something more than just a team that was kind of at the basement for the longest while. I'm wondering for you, where do you see them going here this season and more specifically on Peyton Krebs? Well, the thing about Krebs is like a lot of guys in this team, someone's going to have to play the wing. Is it Peyton Krebs? Is it Casey Middlestat? Is it Dylan Cousins? Someone's going on the wing. There, is, there aren't enough spots at center. And I don't necessarily want one of those guys being a fourth-line center and getting fourth-line minutes. But we saw yeah. last year – you know, Peyton Krebs was able to get a few goals for them, was able to set up some plays. We saw a lot of vision on the ice. Um, and Peyton Krebs is another guy. You talk about Alex Tuck wanting to be here. Yeah. We, we were yeah, on a routine. We were in a routine press conference after practice one day, and Peyton Krebs was talking about how it's quite a difference. It felt like more like home in Calgary, being in Buffalo than in Vegas. He said, there's trees in Buffalo. I'm already looking at where I can – build a house and have kids in Buffalo. That's yeah. how much he enjoyed his first year. So those are the kind of guys you want. Kevin Adams, the GM has always said, I want guys who want to be Buffalo Sabres. That's what he has found here in a lot of these guys. They want to be part of this program. And, you know, is this a playoff team this year? I don't think so yet, but it's getting there. And I mean, they got a lot of horses coming in here and they're going to be pretty good down the road in a couple more years. Well, I mean, yeah, just the young talent they have, the Rasmus Dalins, the Owen Power, by the way, who's coming this year as well. Um, one player, yeah, you mentioned Middlestat. He's a guy a lot of people had high hopes for. Sure. Uh, really thought that he was going to come out and kind of, you know, be maybe a de facto number one, number two center. He is penciled in right now as the number two center. 
if you go look at any of the sites that, you know, project lines for the Sabres. Um, what would you say for him is his biggest stumbling block so far as a Buffalo Sabre in this season? Could he continue to take steps, maybe getting to play with guys like Peyton Krebs and, you know, maybe even Alex Tuck, depending on where he fits. But, I mean, he's looking pretty good with Tage Thompson. I don't think he's going to get that right. look. You know, the thing about Middlestat was he was the best player on the team last year in training camp. He was the number one center coming out of training camp. He had a great camp, and he got hurt in the season opener against Montreal and was never the same after that. And that really was just a setback he could never overcome. And it was kind of a lost season for him. We saw some of him come back at the end of the year. And if you see that kind of training camp from him again this year, that's a, a tremendous bonus because that's true. We, don't, we don't really know what we're going to see. We kind of know what we're going to see from Dylan Cousins. We kind of know what we're going to see from Krebs and from Tage Thompson. Millstat's kind of a mystery, and you're right. I mean, here's a guy who was a top 10 pick in yep. 2017, was a star in the World Juniors. You remember that outdoor game against Team Canada? And he hasn't really exploded on the scene yet, but we've seen, you know, bits and pieces of it, and it's going to be interesting to see how he looks in camp. Again, you go back to what you're saying about winning, too. I mean, obviously, a winning environment may help him as well. You know, obviously, it puts a pep in some guy's step, you know, to be in a, an environment that's fun and thriving. And, I mean, with the talent coming in here for the Buffalo Sabres, like I said, Owen Power steps in this year. That's going to be exciting. Um, the one that I'm really wondering about, though, is the goaltending situation. Obviously, right. you have Comrie and Anderson. That seems to be the only thing that doesn't have anything up and coming. I know you have Ukapekalakunin, I think that's how you say it, um, on the way. Um, he was signed, I believe, to a two-year extension. Uh, or three, maybe. Right. Uh, I think two, it was two, two years. He was an RFA. He got you know, yeah. 30000 or whatever. So for the Buffalo Sabres, that seems to be the one spot right now. And there's a lot of rumors last year that they may have traded for a goaltender because there were a few available. And, I mean, that may happen again this year. But for you, is that the one spot where you look at the growth everywhere else? The, the defense has young players coming. The forward group is gelling and coming. But the goaltending just doesn't seem to have that one, maybe even diamond in the rough right now. No, it does, though. It does, though. I mean, okay, so this year you're looking at probably Eric Comrie and Craig Anderson yep. as your two NHL goalies. Lukanen is your number one guy in Rochester. But yep. you've got Devin Levi, probably oh, the best goalie in college hockey at Northeastern. Might be a Hobie Baker guy this year. Now, he's not signed. He's not yep. signed yet. I fully expect him to sign after the college season. And Kevin Adams acquired him from Florida in the Sam Reinhardt trade, and I really think that's Kevin Adams' guy. They also have Eric Portillo from Michigan, but he can go the free agent route, and I'm a lot less confident about him signing. But to me, the prospect goalie, the diamond in the rough goalie they have is Devin Levi, and that's the guy I think they have pegged for two or three years down the road be their guy and you saw him in the world juniors of canada yep and you saw him last year in the nca how good he has looked you know as a seventh round pick of the florida panthers i think that's the guy the buffalo sabers are banking on in that 2024 2025 range so fast tracking him maybe per se the end of the season you bring him in if the sabers are not a playoff contending team which who knows i mean obviously if things fall in the right way the atlantic I know got better across the board, but yeah. the Sabres also could take steps with their young guys getting better as well and bringing in guys like Owen Power and stuff like that to supplement your defense. Obviously, Neelie Labushkin, a physical force. We got to see it firsthand here in Toronto. Maybe Craig Anderson pulls a Mike Smith and winds back the clock just one more time and puts on a clinic or Eric Comrie seals the pipes. But um, if the team is not there, do you see him getting a shot towards the end of the season to play for the Sabres? Or are they going to put him in the AHL if he does decide to sign and give him just a bulk load towards the end there? They may do that, and they may try to get him to do the playoff run, but maybe the lure of the, the whole deal to get him to sign might be, all right, we'll put you in Buffalo for a couple games, make your NHL debut at the end of the season, and then go to Rochester for a playoff run. A lot of times you see teams will do that. And if Devin Levi blows up again in Northeastern, has another spectacular year, is in that Hobie Baker 
race, I mean, you're probably going to put him in the NHL and see what happens at the end of the year and give him that NHL taste. Because we saw last year what it meant. It meant everything for Owen Power to get the NHL debut out of the way, to play seven or eight games. And, guys, he looked like an NHL defenseman who didn't look at a place for some years. Right. I mean, five- or six-year veteran is what he looked like out there. He didn't look like an 18-year-old kid. You guys saw, you know, the first night in Toronto, there was no nerves whatsoever in his game. Um, So, you know, that's a situation the Sabres have coming with Devin Levi. And and you look at so much talent up front, you know, Power, Dowling, Samuelson on the back end. You know, you're right. The goaltending is where they have to still figure it out in this organization. They need Lukanen to stay healthy and play yeah. 50 or 55 games in Rochester. They need to keep seeing development from Levi in college, and then we'll see where it goes. And they're pretty high on Eric Comrie, too. You look at his numbers last year in Winnipeg, it kind of begs the question why the Winnipeg Jets didn't use him a little more. You have Connor Hellebuck, but you just can't be playing your starter 65, 66 games anymore. And it was a coach trying to save his job, and they screwed it up because what happened? By not playing Eric Comrie, they ended up turning him into a UFA, where he could have been an RFA. So he ended up coming to Buffalo, and that was a mistake. I'll agree with you there. I will agree with you. And, I, you know, I just I look at the Sabres this year. For some reason, just something, something feels like it's going to fall right for the Sabres this year, and I think it's going to – be a battle for the final wildcard spot for them right up until the end. I really do. For some reason, I think everybody's going to start hitting um, on the young guys for your team. The thing that I'm wondering though, for the Buffalo Sabres, do you get caught up in, how do we say this? The excitement. If the team is in the chase for a final wildcard spot, or even in a wildcard spot, come the trade deadline, uh, do you make a move for a goaltender? Do you make a move there? I know that's way down the line, but for you, with this team being where it is and everybody expecting them to continue the rebuild properly, would you expect them to spend assets or would you just, would they just say, this is house money, we'll let the cards fall where they will? It depends how close they are, but the one thing, guys, Kevin Adams and Don Granato are very adamant. The playoff drought is not on us. We haven't been here the whole time. And I think that's a bunch of bunk. I mean, sorry, you're the GM and the coach now. It is yeah. on you. You know, you, you the organization has not made the playoffs in 11 years. It's mostly on ownership. They're the only ones that have been here the whole time. But we saw this with the Buffalo Bills. Until you make the playoffs and get that 600-pound piano off your shoulders, your organization is stuck in the mud. The Buffalo Bills, by the grace of God – got the Andy Dalton play to make the playoffs on New Year's Eve in 2017, played a terrible game, one of the worst playoff games in NFL history, lost in Jacksonville. It didn't matter. They had made the playoffs. That whole narrative was gone. We're seeing it in in baseball this year with the Seattle Mariners. They can't get anywhere in their organization until they get rid of the 20-year playoff drought. The Sabres need to do the same thing. If they sneak in as a wild card and lose in the first round in five games, so what? They yeah. no longer have bozos like me writing 600 times a year. They have the longest <laughs> playoff drought in the NHL. You know, it makes a difference. They don't know. It will make a difference. And, and I mean, definitely Jeff, making Jeff going Skinner. on a drive on a run like that, it, it helps players too. Sure. It Jeff helps young Skinner. guys come along, right? Jeff Skinner, and I understand, Jeff Skinner hates talking about it. Jeff Skinner is the active leader in the NHL for career games played without making the playoffs. He hates talking, but he's never made the playoffs. Look it up. All the years he played in Carolina, now the years in Buffalo, he's never been in the playoffs. He has to get rid of that. It's a career black mark. You know, the organization has to get rid of that. So, yes, if you're close to making the playoffs, you've got to make a move to put yourself over the top right now. You know what? Because, guys, they had a 10-game winning streak in 2018. They won 17 of the first 25 games. They were in the playoffs easily. You know, we went to St. Louis two days after Christmas in 2018. The Buffalo Sabres had 15 more points than the St. Louis Blues. Six months (laughs) later, St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup, and Phil Housley was long fired. 
you know, you don't know what's going to happen in the season. Jason Botterill just let the season play out. They yeah. need, they had needs. He didn't do anything. They didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, you, you got to shore things up. And, I mean, that's why I'm saying I look at this team and the only weak link I see this season right now is if Owen Power comes in and does what Owen Power does. And Rasmus Dallin does his thing. And then the guys up front, like Tuck and Krebs and Middlestad, and everybody just keeps progressing. The only thing that might be the fly in the ointment is the goaltending. Unless, unless, like you said, maybe they run with Comrie a little more than Anderson. Or yeah, I Anderson expect roll back the clock. I, I expect them to look at 45 to 50 games for Comrie. 25 games for Anderson, and I think from time to time they're going to sneak Luke in and in here, give him six to eight NHL starts. I think you're going to see some of that going on, but I fully expect Comrie to be the number one guy and not Anderson. Anderson's 41 years old. Yeah. I don't think they expect him to play 41 games. They want him to be a good locker room guy like he is and give him 25 games. So for you, Mike, for this season for the Buffalo Sabres and Sabres fans, I know the long playoff road. I watch Sabres fans online, and it eats them. Um, there's some specific fans that I know really uh, blow up about things. For you, what would be a successful season? Unobjectively, obviously you want to make the playoffs. Obviously, everybody wants the cup. But where you're a team that is taking steps to get better. Yes, progression. What, what so. would be the best thing for this team? What would you need to see to say, hey, this right here, if we shore up X, we are looking good for the next few years. You know, I need to see them get in the neighborhood. You know, as good as last year ended, they went 16-9-3 in the last 28 games. It's about 103-point pace for a whole year. As good as that ended, they're still 25 points out of the playoffs. They're still 32 points behind the Boston Bruins who finished fourth in the Atlantic Division. So you've got to close that gap. You're a 75-point team. You've got to become a 90-point team this year to get yourself in range. Because not every year that the last playoff spot's going to be 100. Some year it's going to be 94. Last year was the first time in history all eight teams in a conference had 100 points. Normally, 94, 95 can get there. The Sabres got to go from 75 to the low 90s to start getting in range so that they have meaningful games in March and April. That's really got to be the first goal. Are they going to blow up and become a 105-point team and make the playoffs this year? Anything's possible. I don't expect that to happen. But the minimum to me, become a 90-point team and be in the league. Okay, okay. And for Sabres fans, I know everybody's chomping at the bit for some news and just wanting to know some things. What are two things for you on a positive note that you're tracking right now that maybe people aren't talking about? You know, I think the biggest thing we're going to want to see in cap, I think the topics in this team are so widely disseminated and dissected. Everyone wants to know how good are Jack Quinn and JJ Paterka going to be? I was going to ask the question. (laughs) How good are they going to be in camp? How much can they translate what they did offensively in the American Hockey League to the NHL this year, because they're going to make the team. You know, for yeah. a 75-point team, this is not a team with a lot of questions at training camp. This is not a team with a lot of training camp competition. This is going to be more shuffling the decks at training camp, seeing where the pieces fit in the jigsaw puzzle. We know pretty much who's going to be on the team right now. It's an unusual situation. But that, to me, is going to be the biggest question people are going to have as they're watching games in the preseason, how good are Quinn and Paterka looking? And where do they fit in that top nine? Um, it's really a fascinating – for a non-playoff team, for a team yeah. coming off a 75-point season, it's a fascinating team. And, you know, everybody here feels good about last year, but that's how last year ended, and they didn't have a lot of pressure. But the one thing about it is uh, they did beat the Leafs like a drum three times. That was uh. pretty well- pretty well celebrated here, you know, and and the funny part is the schedule comes out and people are just starting to realize the schedule matrix and this should not happen. The Sabres and Leafs are only playing three times, only once in Buffalo. The schedule matrix is stupid. Buffalo, Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, and Rangers Islanders are only being played three times this year. They should designate certain rivalries in divisions that you can't have 
a three-game series, and it's got to be one of the four-game series because that's a joke. The Rangers yeah, and Islanders are playing three times. Too. That's a joke. You know, well, so yeah, the Sabers can't beat the Leafs like a drum four times this year. Um, you know, okay. it, it was it was bizarre last year. Think about it, guys. I mean, oh, I know. the second game. The second game, I said, well, the Leafs are going to be really pissed, and they're going to beat the Sabres like a drum in this game. I look at some 7-3 to three thing, and the Sabres just, you know, they Peter Morazic them, them to death at the Heritage Classic. So then I said, all right, we went back to the Scotiabank Arena. All right, this is the 7-3 game. Matthews scores a hat trick. Marner has four points, and the Leafs say enough is enough, and the Sabres rolled them again, yep. you know. So it was just a weird confluence of events because you look at – you know, I think the Sabres have like one win in their last 16 games against the Boston Bruins and one win in the last 10 or 11 against Tampa. And they're four and one in the last five against the Leafs. And, you yeah. know, so it's just sometimes you never know. But um, it's a funny division. I mean, I mean, who's changing in that top three? Who, who's changing it? That's the top three. I mean, I mean, I don't know what order it's going to be, but that's the top three. There's no way that's changing. Yeah. I don't You're see playing. it changing. We'll, we'll talk about the Leafs more in a moment because there's a couple more questions on the Sabres, but I'll agree with you. Those three teams are not changing. No. Um, I, I look at I look at a team like Boston, though, and say, you know what, with their injuries and stuff like that, they may slide backwards, and Ottawa or Detroit might be the team to step up or, or the Buffalo, Buffalo Sabres. Buffalo. Yeah, I don't – I mean, Ottawa might be – I mean, that's pretty impressive when you had Debrinkat and Claude Giroux and trade for Cam Talbot. Detroit, I trust Steve Eiserman. But, but what's he doing? Yeah. What are they doing there? I, I don't <laughs> totally I don't know totally see the plan of getting all these guys from the outside and trying to mesh them as a team. I don't know how that's gonna work. I mean, I like what Buffalo's doing. I like what Ottawa's doing, signing their core. I, I'm not as sold on Detroit just because I just think it's a, a mishmash of of desperation. I think Eiserman's like, okay, I fired the coach. So now I've got to make sure the team is good. He brings in, you know, an accomplished assistant in Derek Lawn from Tampa, but who's never been an NHL head coach. Yeah. So I'm not as sold on Detroit. I really think if somebody's going to step up and catch Boston, especially early when they got the injuries, it's got to be Ottawa or Buffalo. Those are the, the two teams. I only say Detroit just because, you know, CBY for whatever reason, when he gets his fingerprints on things, things start to rock and roll, and maybe, maybe he knows something that we don't. And hey, we all called him an idiot, right? Did, didn't we all call him an idiot when he drafted Moritz Sider? Yep. There's what a lot of people that are like, "What are you doing here?" Yep. Right. And was he right? Yep. He was right. Yeah. So yeah, he knew what he was he, doing. He gets, <laughs> he gets a long. He gets a long runway in the "What is he doing?" discussion. That's yep. very, very true. The last question I have for Buffalo before I start picking your brain on the Maple Leafs here, and this is kind of a, a two-teamer, I guess. Who ends their drought first, Jeff Skinner or Jack Eichel for games not played in the playoffs? Because Jack went to Vegas thinking he was going to the playoffs and still didn't. So it's like the uh, the Taylor Hall curse thing. Right. So who gets it first, Skinner or Eichel? I, I still think Eichel. I know Vegas has a serious issue with goal, but I mean the Pacific Division is not the Atlantic Division. Um, <laughs> I think Vegas will find a way. You know, look at it. Vegas, Vegas makes the playoff last year if they simply get some goals and shootouts. Yep. What, what were yep. they over over seventeen in those three shootouts? So we'll see. I think Vegas probably is a playoff team this year or close to it. But the Sabres are getting there. I think Skinner Skinner's at 850 games. He's going to push 1,000 before he gets in, I think. Oh, oh, wow. All right, all right. Uh, I would uh, personally take Jeff Skinner before Jack Eichel. I, for some reason, don't think this is going to be a good year in Vegas. I really don't think so. Um, just with the goaltending injuries – Young guys between the pipes and tough, trying yeah. to figure it out. And it's going to be they tough. give away Max Pacioretty because of the cap. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and now players like even Pacioretty coming out and say what he said. You know, mm -hmm. the I, I think the jig is up, uh, yes. sort of speaking. Vegas for some guys, 
and the shine is off the, the team. So we'll see what happens this year, but I don't have positive vibes for that one as I do with the Sabres, which is weird coming from a Leaf fan saying positive things about one of your rivals. Uh, <laughs> but that's what I'm about to ask you to do. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs this offseason said goodbye to Jack Campbell, Ilya Mikheyev, um, Ilya Labushkin went to Buffalo. Uh, but they brought in guys like uh, Bobby Cabell, uh, Gadette, two goaltenders and trading for Matt Murray and Elias Samsonov. And a lot of people say this team took a large step backwards. Um, for me, I look at it, I've said this a million times, I'll say it every time. You have two goaltenders right now that should come into this situation highly motivated and ready to play. Matt Murray should want to be able to play Amazing for the Maple Leafs for all the stories he told about his life there and everything that went into it. But also, here's the other caveat that not a lot of people are talking about. When he played for Ottawa, they had no goal support. So he was not getting goals. No. So they needed offense, and that was something that was talked about in Ottawa. They needed to get offense going. In Toronto, he will have that goal support. So if he lets in one or two stinkers – it's not going to kill his confidence because at least he can go get those back, at least in the regular season. Postseason, we'll talk another time. But I think for him, that may be a good way to build his confidence. Ilya Samsonov is coming in with a chip on his shoulder because Washington basically gave up on him and said, you're, you're never going to amount to what we thought you were going to be. So now he probably wants to bet on himself and probably get a, a good contract out of it if he plays well with the Leafs because the Leafs probably won't pay him because they can't, because they're backed against this cap we talked about earlier. But what do you think about this team, what they've added, what they've done? Have they gone forwards, backwards, or are they linear? I know it's hard for you to talk positive about the Leafs, but let's, let's well, just throw it, 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 I, I love the Leafs. The Leafs are a fascinating team. The reason I'm laughing <laughs> is I, I've been laughing all summer at the acquisition of Albe Kubel because here's a guy whose claim to fame in his career so far – is tripping with the Stanley Cup and denning the damn thing before Colorado's photo. And he ends up with the Leafs that hasn't touched the things since 1967. So I found that somewhat ironic. Um, Matt Murray, you know, Matt Murray, Buffalo wanted. He rejected the wouldn't waive the no trade to come to Buffalo. Um, you're right. I think Matt Murray can get some help from the offense in Toronto. He can win six to five games. But he wasn't going to win in Ottawa. You can't win six to five games in the playoffs. And the other thing on Matt Murray is if it goes badly. You know, it's Toronto's a tough place to play when things go badly. And the pressure here, I talk about the organization Albatross with the Sabres. The organization Albatross in Toronto that you guys know, if they lose in the first round again, everybody's, oh, everybody's fired. Yep. It's everybody's hell. fired. They, they can't possibly – I'm somewhat surprised they came back with Dubas this year. But, I mean, they had a 115-point season. They lost in Game 7 to Tampa. It's, you know, two years in a row, they just needed an overtime goal in Game 6 to get out of their own way, and they couldn't get it. Yep. You know, but if they lose in the first round this year, everybody's gone. And the problem with the Leafs is this is essentially an 82-game exhibition season. Oh, to see it where they are, the playoffs. Yep. see where they are, see what seed they get, and then play that playoff series. And that's a lot of pressure on a lot of guys, on the big names, on the role players. That's pressure on everybody. And you're in the fishbowl of Toronto. It's not good to have that kind of pressure coming up on that first-round series this year because you talk about pressure. There's no pressure in Buffalo compared to what you're going to have in Toronto this year especially. No, absolutely not. So you look at this season for the Maple Leafs, and I agree with you. Listen, I've towed the line for the past probably three seasons where Keith and Dubas really haven't had an opportunity to have a full season with full practices, no pandemic interruptions, no coaches being fired, no contracts looming over their head. Last year was that first season, really. And it went and well. They, they produce, Yeah, they produced during the regular season. They Washington Capital-esque the regular season, you know, and the big knock against the Capitals for the longest time where they were a great regular season team but could never get out of their own way in the playoffs. Mind you, they did make it to the second round 
more than the Leafs ever have. But that being said, for this season, if the Leafs do not get past that first round, yes, I, I think Keith is gone. Dubas is gone. Shanny has to be gone. Mm-hmm. But then you start looking at the players. Do you get rid of Matthews? No. Do you get rid of Marner? No. Do you try to find a way to move JT? You probably look at it. And then Willie Nylander, that's a pretty damn value contract. We talked about Tage's deal, 6.9 mil. Right. It's not too bad for 30 goals, maybe 70 points. But so you're you know, missing that, the big the big question. Yep. If you don't if you don't get out of the first round this year, it's not about do you get rid of Matthews. It's about does Matthews say, I'm going UFA. You might want to get rid of me now. Yeah. How much is he going to want? I, I really hope that he doesn't leave because right now for Leaf fans, he is the crutch holding everything up. Sure he is. Because everybody loves to see what he can do, the records, all this stuff. But I do agree with you. And, you know, we talked uh, we talked last night about a few people with a couple of people talking about maybe Matthews is just maybe a bit too selfish with his game. Needs to grow his 200-foot game a little bit more. You know, and then become maybe just that much more of a leader that way, other than just putting the puck in the net. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Does that jive we with you? That. Or yeah, we that? saw that with Eichel. We saw Eichel in Buffalo. His 200 foot game grew tremendously in the yep. 2019 20 season. Don't forget, Eichel was eighth in the Hart Trophy balloting. He had a terrific season in 2019 20, and we thought he was on his way to superstardom. Then you know, the pandemic hit and the injuries hit and Ralph Kruger couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag and everything fell apart here. But yeah, yeah I mean, Matthews, we're seeing Matthews 200 foot game coming, you know, I we're seeing, yeah, we're seeing, I mean, it's not just 60 goals. We're seeing a lot more of that balance in his game. And, you know, I think part of the problem with the Leafs, you know, there is some imbalance there. I think part of the problem too is, Every top Stanley Cup team, go through them in your mind. They all have a Norris Trophy level guy. Yeah. Is is Morgan Riley a Norris Trophy level guy? Could be. Could be. Could be, maybe. But he's not Victor Hedman. He's not Kale McCarr. You know, he's probably not. He's not Chris Letang. He's not uh, Duncan Keith. He's not Drew Doughty. Go through the teams that have won the cup yeah. in the last 12 years. You know, does Morgan Riley match up to any of those guys? That, to me, as much as goaltending is one of the big questions about the Leafs is on defense. You know, yeah. do they have a defense to get you through four rounds of the playoffs? Yeah, They're we had this debate team. last night. You look at the top four of the Leafs. The top four of the Leafs really isn't settled. No. You know, it's, it's just not. Justin Hall, you shouldn't be wanting to be a contender and make the playoffs. We talked about an 82 exhibition season for the Leafs, but here's the thing. If you don't have a full four top four that you can confidently say is your top four, because yeah. Justin Hall is not top four D-man, you know, there's a problem right there. But I will say this about the argument for some players. You know, if the Leafs were to go and win the cup this year, and then, you know, X team next year we're talking about hasn't won the cup. You can bring Morgan Riley up in that conversation then and say, listen, sure. he's not Norris comp or caliber, but he is, you know, in that echelon of elite. Not Norris, but the, the level below. You know, obviously you have to win to become a name, is what I'm saying. And it, sometimes it as weird as it sounds. Yeah, as weird as it sounds, this will sound weird. I believe Sheldon Keith has one of the easier tasks in the NHL this year. Sheldon Keefe does not have to win the Stanley Cup. Everybody wants to win the Stanley Cup in Toronto. But what if the Leafs this year, you know, what they have last year? 110 points, 115 points. 115, I think it was, yep. Yeah. So the Leafs have a let's say the Leafs have 113 points this year, and they lose in game six of the Eastern Conference Final. That's a People solid be, year. That's a solid year. People are gonna be disappointed they didn't win the cup, and everybody's like, hey, we made the Eastern Conference final. We had another 110-point season. We're going. And, you know, yeah. so to me, you know, the Leafs are not a Stanley Cup or bust team this year at all. No. But they, they're certainly a first-rounder or bust team. <laughs> definitely, no, they definitely got to make it. They got to get by that round one. And I don't, You talk about the piano. 
you know, for a while for the least, for the longest while, it was getting to the playoffs. Right. They made that dance against Washington with all the young kids, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Now the next thing is these kids, well, they've grown up a little bit, and they need to finally maybe, you know, run instead of walk. Well, the other thing is they need to to have an easy series. They need to get away from game seven. Yes. Because now you're talking four game sevens in six years. They just cannot handle that mental block anymore. You need to get a first-round series that the Leafs win in five games. So this is why I'm excited for the Ottawa Senators to be as good as they are because the last time the Leafs got to the second round, it was over – the Ottawa Senators. So right. if the Leafs can somehow get first place in the Atlantic and have to face the Sens in the first round, wouldn't it just be poetic to see them beat the Sens again in the playoffs to finally yeah. get that off their back? You know, and the funny part about people in Buffalo talk about this all the time, you know, the Leafs were in the Western Conference for whatever it was, 17, 18 years. The Buffalo Sabres have been in the NHL now for 52 years. They've played one playoff series against the Toronto Maple Leafs in 52 years. I would love to see it. The 1999 East Final at Buffalo won to go to the Stanley Cup. It's amazing to me that just it's – because they've played like – I think they've played nine series against Montreal. They've played nine playoff series against Philly and Boston. They've played the Leafs once in their entire history of the playoffs. It's really one of those crazy stat vagaries you can never explain. And you're not talking a small sample size either when you're talking. No, it's quite a large time. Yeah. So, okay, I'll change my answer. I want to see Buffalo-Toronto first round. Let's do it. Well, he he even (laughs) mentioned that. He would be okay with Buffalo going in five games in the first round of the playoffs. So it would just be it would just be a match <laughs> made in heaven. Right. Remember, and remember, guys, I don't care who wins. I always tell people all the time, I go 82 and 0 every year. I mean, yeah. I get I get I get mocked at the Stanley Cup final by other reporters, and I have a good laugh about it. I get mocked as the losingest beat writer in the league. You know, look what I've covered the last 11 years. Some of these guys, if you cover the Chicago Blackhawks or you covered the Pittsburgh Penguins, you've covered 100 playoff games in a short span. You know, I started covering the Buffalo Sabres in 2007. How many playoff games have I covered since 2007? 13. Oh, two series, a six-gamer and a seven-gamer. If I didn't – if my paper, bless their hearts – didn't send me the Stanley Cup final most years, I would never see a playoff game in person. Damn. You know? True enough. So 13 playoff games in 15 years. And some of these guys who cover the Penguins, Blackhawks, LA Kings when they were in their prime. You're talking guys cover another 100 games. It's like they cover another whole season. And I'm sitting on my couch because the Sabres are never in it. (laughs) Well, listen, those times, they are coming to change, I do believe, for the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. Um, I want to get one last one in on the Leafs here. Uh, for you, you look at the defense. We talked about it just a moment ago. What do the Leafs need on the back end here? Obviously, you could say a Norris guy. You could say one of those kind. Do they need a proper physical kind of defenseman? I love Jake Muzzin, but he's wearing down. Yeah. How how long is Jake? How long are you gonna you know keep the the glue pot on the side of the table to keep piecing Jake Muzzin back together? Um, poor guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, Labushkin didn't really, you know, Labushkin's what the Sabers need. You know, they need <laughs> yeah. a physical defenseman yep. who can play 15, 16 minutes, and I think he'll really help them. You know, he needed to do a little more with the Leafs. The Leafs aren't real physical back there. We all know that. Um, you know, I want to see can they develop a defenseman from within again, like they did with Riley? I mean, can they develop, you know, a Sandine type, turn into the kind of player they need? That's really the issue to me to go on a deep run. Are they deep enough on the back end? We know they have elite forwards, you know, goaltending is a question mark, but if Matt Murray can rechannel some of the Pittsburgh days, he's Matt Murray. He does have two cups. It's nothing to sneeze at here. But the back end is their question. And, you know, and it's hard because they're not going to be able to go out and trade for a guy. They're not going to be able to go out and sign a guy in free agency. They don't have enough room in the cap. You're going to have to, at some point, you know, stumble on a guy in the draft 
and make a good pick and be able to develop a guy who can really turn into a, you know, a minutes munching defenseman. And, you know, right now they're just going to have to roll with Riley as their guy. And I love Morgan Riley. I don't want it to sound like I'm slagging on Morgan Riley. It's just yep. we're talking levels of elite defensemen that can carry you deep in the playoffs because you guys saw it. You, you see what Victor Hedman's done for Tampa. You see what Kale McCarr did this year. You know, can you see Morgan Riley doing that for 28 games in April, May, and June? I don't know. It, can I see it? Yes. Is it realistic to expect him to do it alone? Probably not. Probably for the not. Leafs, I think it's going to be more of a defensive by committee thing if they go on a long run. I think Riley will be your top, obviously, but I think you need X and X to fall into place here. I mean, maybe uh, maybe Giordano. We talk about Anderson rolling back the clock. Maybe right. Giordano, he says he's got lots left in the tank. Maybe him and Brody capture some more magic. Riley yeah. rocks with somebody else, and maybe they find a way to make it all work. But, I mean, that's the, the fun thing about going into a season. You start looking at what's going where. Like you said about the Sabres, you're looking at what can fit where and sit. Same thing with the Leafs. I mean, we're still looking who's playing with John Tavares and, and Willie right. Nylander. I said it the other night. I think you put Marner with Tavares, put Bunting down there too, have Matthews drive his own line with Willie Nylander and Nick Robertson and see what Nick Robertson has. Oh, yeah. You have to get some contribution. I want to see big contribution right away from Nick Robertson. And I think yeah, it's, time, it, it's that time. You know, and, and you know what? You know, maybe the Leafs are going to say, hey, guys, we're going we're gonna to have to win every game 7-4 or something. But, you know, can you win that way in the playoffs? Probably not. But, you know, it, it, yeah, there, yeah, we saw what happened with Florida last year. The Leafs are in a tough spot. You know, it's a yeah. tough division. You know, the playoffs aren't going to be easy for them mentally, let alone the competition of whoever they play. So we'll have to see. But uh, the Leafs are just, I'm telling you guys, the Leafs are one of my favorite teams to watch because, A, it's a great style. It's yeah, fun yeah. hockey to watch. And B, just the constant consternation of the fan base and the media and everything in Toronto. You, you know, driving around, I'll put the fan on or I'll put, uh, you know, TSN radio on. And it, it's just hilarious to hear people go berserk when the Leafs are in a slump or when the playoffs are going. It's just it, it's it's so entertaining just because they're in such a, a spot right now where they're right there. The thing about the Leafs is I I wrote this in the newspaper last year. I said it numerous times on Twitter before the series ever started. I said the winner of the Toronto-Tampa series is going to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. yeah. I was convinced of it. I was convinced that they were the two best teams playing in the first round. And what happened? The Leafs didn't well, get the overtime goal in game six. They didn't win game seven. And who went to the Stanley Cup final? Yeah. Could have been the Leafs last year. Yeah. It's, it's actually kind of comical to watch throughout the regular season. You see the little slumps that the Leafs go on, and you just watch Leafs Twitter explode. And they're like, Oh, you got to get rid of him. You got to get rid of him. Keith better be fired. Dubas better be fired. It's like there's always that panic button two seconds away from somebody to just hit and reset. And they're like, oh, yeah, might as well just tank for Bedard now. Like it's. it's Yeah, but then every so, you know, you see that panic button hit and they're always two days away from playing Anaheim or or playing some terrible team that they'll beat seven to three and everybody's. Will act like everything's fixed. That's the thing. The Leafs have been very good the last few years during the regular season of tuning that stuff out to yeah, a large degree. That's how you end up with 105, 110, 115 points. They don't listen to a lot of this external crap that's going on in Toronto. It doesn't go on in most other places. No, in the playoffs, it's almost in the playoffs, it's almost impossible. I don't know how you can block it out in Toronto in the playoffs. And they have it's everywhere. Made- it's everywhere in Toronto yeah. at that point. They it was, haven't been it, able to, you know, but it was very that's, that's the thing. You're always a day or two away from playing the Ducks or, you know, just playing some terrible team yep. that you can clean up on. And it's like the Blue Jays now, you know, they were having a tough time. And I'm like, well, I got nine games coming up with the Angels, the Cubs, and the Pirates. That didn't go real well. 
But right now, the, the way they play on the road, it doesn't matter. But you just know, you know, there's that daily grind of, oh, they're in trouble, they're in trouble. Just let it play out. Yeah. You know, that's the that's the boat I'm always in. So, Mike, if you're looking for a positive Leaf fan throughout the year, just go check out my channel. I'm always happy about <laughs> it. I love I, – I, I, my constant motto is just enjoy the ride. Buckle up. It's going to be fun. You're going to see some things. You're going to feel some things. But it's going to be fun. Don't take it too seriously, but so many people do. But I guess that's the way people fan. You can fan any way you want. Austin Matthews scored 60 goals. Did people not enjoy watching a guy score 60 goals last year? Are you not entertained? Right. Right. I don't know, man. It's, It's going to be a fun season. I can't wait to see what the Sabres do. Can't wait to see what the Leafs do. Hopefully, it's what you said, Eastern Conference Finals. They can lose in game six. That's fine. I'll take that. I'll take that every day of the week on Sunday twice. Let's right. go with that. So let's enjoy it. Mike, I want to thank you very much. Uh, it was a shot in the dark to uh, shoot you an email to get you to come on and talk to us. I appreciate you. I read a lot of your work. Um, see some of the quotes and stuff like that, especially in your Twitter bio um, from Lindy Ruff. You know, why don't you coach Mike? You know, that was a, a funny line. Uh, but I really enjoyed having you on. And hopefully when we get to a Toronto-Buffalo game, hopefully we can have you on and uh, talk some more about what's what happened in that game. All right, gentlemen. I appreciate it very much. Thank you very much. Look forward to it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been an Atlantic Division preview show with Mike Harrington coupling the Buffalo Sabres. Have yourselves a good one. This is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk. <laughs>